0: together. Let's spend some time in prayer. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're here to praise you for you alone are worthy of our praise. And we've come to confess our sins to you. You know the things we did and said and thought we ought not to and the things we've left undone. Lord, forgive. And Lord, we're here to thank you that you've given us life, you've given us new life, that you've washed our sins away, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word that we can gather and worship you. You fed us and clothed us, and we're here to thank you. And, Lord, we've come. We've given you our gifts, the gifts of singing. We've given you the gifts, uh, the financial gifts we've given to you because you've been good to us. Lord, we've come because we want to hear your word. Lord, 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 we pray as we open your word that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Lord, we're here because we need you, our nation needs you, and so we're praying for revival. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In uh, a world filled with bad news, I, I love being a part of a church where we gather and celebrate good news every week. And this week was an amazing week of good news. We saw seven people who put their faith in Christ, and we we give God thanks for that. Seven people, and you might say, "Well, what happened to them?" If you notice the trees, there's I believe 169 rings around of 169. People that we know of this year who heard the gospel through someone at Good News and put their faith in Christ and were moved from death to life. We had set a goal to double the number of evangelists this year. We had that last week. Now we've actually sent 43 people, and so amazed for what God's done in us and through us this year. And I want to thank all of you who financially support Good News. We couldn't do what we do without you. As we're in this last month, uh, we are behind a a church where we really need to be. And if you're able to give something special this month, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And it would help us out at a really important time that we could continue to uh, share the gospel both here and around the world. Uh, Tara shared the power of an invitation. And I look back on my life, I was invited one time, one time to Young Life. All it took was one invitation, and, and, and I went to cause trouble, which I did, but the first time I went and heard the gospel, I said, this is what, this is who I've been looking for all my life. Isn't it amazing? One invitation, and I found the one that i had been looking for all of my life. And I know some of you are saying, Smiley, that's my story. I, I remember that's who I've been looking for all my life. And if you've never had that experience, I'm praying you have that experience today. That today, as we open up God's Word, you say, wow, that's who I've been looking for all my life. And that's really the point of the message today, is that Jesus is the one you're looking for. Um, it, it, Augustine, for whom our city is named, said our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. If your heart is restless, listen, Jesus is the one you're looking for. And so what we've been doing leading up to Christmas, uh, we've spent the last couple of months uh, walking through John, looking at the seven great I am's in John, answering the question, who does Jesus think he is? So we've said, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine. And if that weren't enough, wait, there's more. We've been in a bonus round. And last week, we looked at how Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And our last week in John is going to be in John 18, 5, where Jesus says, I am the one. If you have your Bible open to to John 18, and these are bonus extra I am's. Next week, we're going to look in Matthew 16, and then we'll be at Christmas, But in Matthew, or in John 18, verse 5, Jesus says, I am he. Uh, I am the one that you're looking for, and that's what we're going to unpack today. But to really understand a verse, it's, it's important to understand the context. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, it'd be a really good idea to bring a Bible And open it up. And and, and I'm going to go all over the place. You won't keep up. But but you can keep it open to John 18, the main passage. And get familiar with your Bible. Uh, John 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words. In the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. All those chapters, they all take place in the upper room. It's in the upper room. It's the last week. It's what we call Holy Week. It all took place. Uh, in that upper room. Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. Two of the great I Am's, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine, it all took place in the upper room. He taught them about the cross. He taught them um, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then in John 17, John 17, that's what we call the high priestly prayer. We find Jesus praying for us, and that all took place in the upper room. And now it's about to change. Uh, 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words in the upper room, he went forth, came down out of the upper, upper room, went through Jerusalem. He went forth with his disciples. They exited east of Jerusalem over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. And the garden's called the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what Gethsemane means? Oil press. It's an oil press. So the Garden of Gethsemane would have been an oil grove, okay? And uh, notice he entered a garden. Uh, A lot of what happens in the Bible happens in a garden, right? In the very beginning, the first Adam, he sinned, right? He sinned in a garden, And his sin wrecked everything, and now we're in another garden. And Jesus is the second Adam, and Jesus will stand in the garden and not fall. Now Judas, who also who was betraying him, have you ever been betrayed by a friend? It hurts, right? Jesus knows what that's like. Now Judas, who had been one of his disciples, one of his small group, now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Jesus or Judas knew where Jesus and the disciples would be as he's betraying him. But you know what's more important? Jesus knew that Judas knew, and Jesus went there anyway. And what we're going to learn in this passage is that that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's Lord and Savior, and he's in control in this whole story where they're coming to arrest him. He's the one who's calling all the shots. Jesus knew that Judas knew, and he would betray him there, and he did it anyway because Jesus is not a victim. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, So Judas had with him a a Roman cohort, perhaps 600 armed Roman soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Uh, So you had the Roman soldiers, and then you had the religious police. Uh, You know where you have that in the world today? It's in Iran, right? In Iran, they have religious police, and the religious police, they go through the country, and they enforce their religion on the people. That's what you would have had here. You would have had the Roman soldiers. You would have had the temple police. Uh, uh, And they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. (laughs) Now, why'd they bring 600 people, soldiers? Why'd they do that? Because they were expecting Jesus and his disciples either to flee or to fight. And uh, you know the saying, right, you don't want to take a knife to a... Gunfight because you don't want to be, what, outgunned, right? And so what do we find them doing? They they brought 600 people because they wanted to have uh, superior weapons because they thought Jesus and his disciples were going to fight. So, boy, were they surprised what happened, right? Um, So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be deserted. He knew he was going to be denied. He knew he was going to be mocked and crucified. He knew. He was going to be made sin and experience the wrath of God. He didn't resist. He didn't flee because Jesus is Lord and Savior He's in control of this situation. Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Jesus is running the show. He's running the show at his own death. Whom do you seek? Um, And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. I, I want you to see two names of Jesus, the lowest, the most human and humble name of Jesus, and the highest and the most exalted. The humble? Who are you, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Listen, <laughs> Nazareth was in Galilee in the north, in Galilee. And, and real Jews lived in the south, in Judea. So he was from the wrong region, and he's from Nazareth. He's from a nowhere place. Nobody's from Nazareth. You know the story, right? That Jesus, he, he finds Philip, right? And he says, follow me. And Philip begins to follow Jesus. And you remember what happens next, right? In John 1, verse 45, as Philip began <clears throat> to follow Jesus, he <clears throat> Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Uh, did you hear that? The Bible's one story. Everything in the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, it all pointed to Jesus. He says, we have found him that the Older Testament speaks about in the law and also the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, David, of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember what Nathaniel said, right? Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So, so we have Jesus from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Jesus responds and says, I am he. He's saying, I am who I am. 1,500 years earlier, Moses had said, what's your name? And he said, tell them that I am who I am. So Jesus is claiming to be God. I am he. Then listen to next. And Judas also, Judas, one of the 12, also was betraying him and standing with them. Notice two things about Judas. He's betraying him, and he's also standing with them. So let's unpack a little bit that he was betraying him. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He betrayed him with a kiss, but, but, but why? Why did he betray him? Well, I'm not certain, but the Scriptures certainly give us some, some uh, insight into it. Uh, a few chapters earlier in John chapter 12, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and, uh, and Mary and Martha are having Jesus over for dinner, and Mary's so overwhelmed that she's anointed his feet with perfume. Remember the story? So in, <clears throat> after she anointed his feet with the perfume, John chapter 12, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and um, given to poor people? Uh, I mean, is it really bad to be extravagant with Jesus? But that's what, why was this perfume not sold? What a waste. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a, a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Uh, So what do we learn about Judas from this passage? That he, what, he had a love for money. He had a love for money. And one of the things that Charles Stanley says that's so good with the devil, he says with the devil, he first, he gets a toehold. And then after he gets a toehold, then he gets a a foothold. And after he gets a foothold, then he has a a stronghold. And so we see that there was a little, there was a place in Judah who loved money. He stole from the pot of the disciples. Do you know there are certain sins that wreck so many lives, that wreck so many lives, the Bible says, don't try and resist them, just run away from them, run away from them. And one of the sins the Bible tells us to flee is to flee the love of money. Let me show you that in First Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. If you want the illustration for 1 Timothy 6, the illustration is Judas, isn't it? For those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare... And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Didn't that happen to Judas? Didn't his love of money lead him into ruin and destruction? For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Now, make sure you look at this verse because it's often misquoted. What do we often hear? Money is the root of all evil. And it's misquoted twice, right? Because notice closely what it says, for the love of money. Money's a good thing. It's not money. It's the love of money. And it's not a root of all evil, but a root of all sorts of evil. Oh, so many people I've seen whose lives have been wrecked by the love of money. And isn't Judas one of them? And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Didn't that happen to Judas? Judas. So what does the Bible say about the love of money? But flee from these things. (laughs) Don't think you're more godly than the people that have gone before you. Look at their lives and run. Listen to this. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. What if in the middle of our community there were hundreds of people And they fled from the love of money, but instead what they pursued with all their hearts was righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Wow, wouldn't we stand out for all the the right reasons there? So back to John 18, we see two things, two things about Judas. First, he was betraying him. And then secondly, notice, he was standing with them. So, I want you to be there, okay? You have Jesus and his disciples that are here, right? You have Jesus and his disciples. And then over here, over here, you have them. You have Roman soldiers with Jewish temple uh, police. Oh, strange combination, right? But what do they say? That the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So, the people who are out to kill Jesus and Jesus and his disciples. And Judas walked over and stood with them. You ever think of how that felt with Jesus? Someone he loved, someone he had washed their feet, and he betrayed him, and he stood with them. How about the apostles? They couldn't believe that one of their 12 was standing with them. When Jesus said that they were going to betray him, they didn't say, I bet it was Judas. They had no idea. I mean, they, did, they didn't say when we were firing live ammunition, he was shooting blanks, right? I mean, when they went out to do miracles, it wasn't like they said that Judas was shooting blanks. did They, they had no idea. And then they see Judas standing with those who wanted to put Jesus to death. Isn't that a picture of our time, isn't it? Don't we see in our culture, don't we see the media and academia and big business and the civil government? Don't we seeing a growing, hostile hostility toward Jesus and His word and His people, don't we? And don't we see many churches that have what they've decided to, to what leave Jesus and His word so that they can be friends of the world? Don't we see that? Haven't we had friends that we love? Who've decided to stand? You know know what that's called, right? It's called deconstructing your faith. Have you had a friend? I have, who who says, "Listen, I want to be a friend of the world more than I want to be a friend of Jesus." Listen, that's a temptation we're all going to face, and in James chapter four, verse four, we're given a warning. It says, you adulteresses. Um, Our sin is very personal. God considers our sin adultery. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And isn't that what Judas, Judas said? I want the approval of the world more than I want the approval of Jesus. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me that I stay a friend of Jesus, that I choose being a friend of Jesus over the world? being a friend of the world. Will you pray for me? And if you'll pray for me, I'll pray for you because sometimes it's going to be really hard when we see everyone lined up against Jesus and his word to be faithful to Jesus. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know what really helps me choose Jesus as is, Jesus is my friend? He calls me friend. Is that amazing? So Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they fell back. They drew back and fell to the ground. Now just some, you're there, right? I mean, you're in the garden. There's 600 armed soldiers and there's an unarmed man and the unarmed man speaks and says, I am he and they fall down before him. Oh, Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's in control of all things, even his, his own death. And listen, if Jesus speaks... And his enemies fall to the ground. What should happen to his friends when Jesus speaks? Hmm? Oh, when Jesus speaks as his friends, shouldn't we say, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you lead and we'll follow, right? But listen, Jesus spoke, spoke and they fell to the ground. And you know what? When a soldier falls to the ground, he's defenseless. He's defenseless and they're thinking, Uh oh, we're about to get killed. Does Jesus take advantage of the situation? Does he destroy them? No, no, no. Um, They fell back and fell, they they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he asks, again, asked them, whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? Uh, And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And um, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go, oh, 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 go their way. <laughs> you know what's amazing? <laughs> Six hundred souls, but Jesus is calling the shots. Jesus is the one who's controlling the whole thing because Jesus is Lord and Savior. Listen, he's not a victim. The cross didn't happen to him. It was his mission and coming. Huh. I told you that I am he. Let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Um, see, Jesus knew that his disciples were not ready to be martyred. But after they saw him, after they saw him risen from the grave, after, after they had received the Holy Spirit, then they would be strong enough to be martyred for their faith. But Jesus says, I've kept them. You need to let them go uh, because I, I've said that I wouldn't lose one. And where did he say that? In the chapter before this, in John 17, when Jesus is praying for his disciples and praying for you and me, he was saying in John 17, 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. You know what strikes me about Jesus is he loves us more than he loved his own life. He said, listen, you can take me, but let my disciples go. And isn't that the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus would take what we deserve, that he would die in our place so that we could go free. And Jesus says, Lord and Savior. Listen, he's strong enough. He's not going to lose any of us. He's going to get us safely home. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. you got to love Peter, right? I mean, he loved Jesus, didn't he? And he, he the odds weren't real good here, but he, he pulled out his sword, right? And he whacked, and, and Malchus must have moved, and he cut off his ear. And the other gospel writers say that Jesus healed his ear. Amazing to me that he did that, but Jesus said, let them go, and they let Peter go. But you do know what Peter's trying to do here, don't you? What's he trying to do? He's trying to keep Jesus from what? From going to the cross. He was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross, but that's the reason Jesus came, was to go to the cross. It's not the first time he did it. Is it? You remember the story, right? Next week we're going to look in Matthew 16 and we're going to see how Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And you remember what Peter said, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this rock out of those who confess me. And then remember what happened in Matthew 16 verse 21. From that time that Peter confessed Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. See the must? It was his purpose. And suffer many things. In order to save us, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Uh, I'm headed to Jerusalem. In order to, 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 for people to be saved, I need to die and rise. But Peter took him aside. And began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And so Peter was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Listen, it was hard enough for Jesus to go to the cross. He didn't need people around him discouraging him from going to the cross. Ah, So The second time we find Peter trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And back in John 18, verse 11, So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And the cup was the cup of God's wrath. The other gospel writers say before this happened that Jesus is in the He's in the garden, and he prays three times, right? Father, if there's any other way for you to save your people other than me drinking the cup of God's wrath, please tell me, please tell me. You need to know, Noah ever feared death the way Jesus feared death, and the reason is he knew what was coming. And it wasn't being betrayed. It wasn't being deserted or denied or beaten. It wasn't even being crucified. Many people were crucified. What filled him with terror was being made sin and experiencing the wrath of God that we deserve. Jesus said, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father "Uh, shall I not drink it? Uh, Jesus was ready to go and die for us because the time was right. Because it's not the first time they tried to kill Jesus, is it? I mean, you, you remember, right, that, that when Jesus began his ministry, he's in, he's in Nazareth, where he's from. They hand him the book of Isaiah. He reads it, and then he says, this has been fulfilled in your midst. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And the Jewish people all cheered, right? And then he said "And to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then they what? They booed. And I pick up the story. In Luke chapter 4, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. Listen, racism is not a new thing. It's been there from the beginning. When, when Jesus said the gospel would go to Gentiles, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Uh, Why did Jesus not die then? Was it because he was afraid to die? Was it? No, it wasn't the right time, right? And you remember what we read last week, don't you? Remember last week we were in John chapter 8? And um, in verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am... Yes, I'm greater than Abraham. Before Abraham was born, I existed because I'm God. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Once again, they they tried to kill him, but it wasn't time. But now it was the time. Now it was the Passover. It was the right time, and Jesus was ready to go. Hmm. Remember what Jesus said? He said, listen, if I wanted to call down thousands of angels, I could, I could. But listen, this is what I came for. I'm ready to go and drink the cup my Father has given for me. The Father had a plan to save us. And Jesus wants to carry out that plan of dying in our place with exact and perfect faithfulness. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. He volunteered for it. In John chapter 10, verse 18, no one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative. Um, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So as you see Jesus betrayed, deserted, denied, nailed to a cross, experiencing the wrath of God, we understand a couple things, don't we? We understand the bad news of the gospel, that our sin must be way worse than we ever imagined, if that's what we deserve. And it's true. The Bible says that sin is a crime against God. We break God's commandments, but also God's heart. Oh, how many times I've been in public and I'll see a mother speak to her little child and she'll say something to the child and I'll go, no! And that's about enough. And then they see the kid take a swing at the mom and you think, you ungrateful little brat? Your mom gave birth to you and she feeds you and takes care of you. You say no and you swing? Oh, multiplied by a thousand times, is that not us? God gives us life and breath, and God says, honor your father and mother, and we say, no, and we swing at God. And God says, sex belongs in marriage, and we say, no, and we swing at God, and God says, you shall not bear false witness, and we say, no, and we swing at God, and we do it over and over And over again, and God says, what we deserve for being ungrateful and disobedient is what we deserve is his wrath, we deserve hell. That's what we see when we look at this Jesus going to the cross. Our sin is way worse than we ever imagined. But we also see that God's love for us is so much greater. Jesus laid down his life for us. He volunteered for the mission. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth to go to the cross. It wasn't the soldiers that that sent him there. He laid down his life. It wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for the Father. It was his love for you and me. That he loved us more than he loved his life, and he stretched out his hand, and he was made sin, and he experienced the wrath of God for us. Isn't that why he cried out what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, our sin is so much worse. God's love is so much greater. Listen, I have authority to lay, to, take, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So, so Jesus was buried, but the third day he rose from the grave, proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us salvation. He offers us forgiveness for our sins. He offers us the chance to do life and eternity with him. And what does he require of us? Oh, in Romans 10, chapter 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It means we're that little kid saying no to our mom, and we say, listen, the rebellion ends today. I don't want to be ungrateful I don't want to be disobedience. My rebellion stops today. Have you ever surrendered that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I've seen my sin, my only hope, Jesus, my only hope to be forgiven and delivered. It's you, Jesus. You're my hope. Have you ever confessed? Have you ever believed? Um, don't you long to be forgiven? Wouldn't you rather do life with Jesus? Listen, a uh, life is a terrible thing to waste. Uh, but listen, don't you want to do eternity with him? Listen, an eternity is a terrible thing to waste. And Jesus said the way we can be forgiven, the way we can do life and eternity with him is to believe in him. And that really is simple. It's as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, you can do that right now, or I'll give you a chance when we close in prayer. But we admit Jesus I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. My sin is so much worse than I ever imagined. And then I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? And then commit. Jesus, you're my only hope. I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life, won't you? I want you to be Lord of my life. You can run my life so much better than me. You lead, and I'll follow, won't you? And... uh, If you have, don't you hear what Jesus says? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What that means is we've been saved from our sins. We've been forgiven. We've been saved from wasting our lives to have a life that matters. We've been saved from hell for everlasting life. And when Jesus moves in, he says, I'm Lord now, follow me. And he becomes our model for life and ministry. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the desire and power to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, Look at Jesus. Don't you want to follow him? He lived a beautiful life. Follow him. I mean, Don't you want to? He says, Look, his life made an impact. Don't you life want to count? Follow him. So so far we've seen, so far we've seen that Jesus is the one. Uh, that you're looking for and so now we're ready for our action step for this week and it's very simple i want you to gaze at jesus i want you to gaze at jesus and you say why and it's because we steer toward where we stare that whatever we stare at in life we'll steer toward and so many of us we, we're focused in maybe on money or we watch the news or whatever and, and we're, we're going in all these directions but if we gaze at jesus we'll steer toward him let me show you that in this verse, which is so good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what does it mean to gaze at Jesus? Here it is. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror the glory of the Lord. When we gaze at Jesus, we are being transformed. Moment by moment, decision by decision, we are being transformed into the same image. We're becoming like Jesus. As we look at Jesus, the Holy Spirit forms him, and our hearts are transformed into the same image from glory to joy, glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I had the best young life leader in the world. Sorry, Strider, I'm sorry, but, um, but I did. And you know what he believed? If I can just get Smiley to gaze at Jesus, if I can just, so week by week, he said, look at Jesus. And you know, he was so right. When I saw Jesus, I saw my sin, and I said, I'm in trouble. And you know what I saw? Jesus loved me more than his own life, and he died on the cross for my sins, and he offered me eternal life as a free gift. And when I heard Jesus knocking, I said, yes, come in. Yes, come in. And he's changing everything. He was so right. Gazing at Jesus was exactly what I needed. And you know what his genius was? He understood gazing at Jesus is not just how we begin the Christian life, it's how we live the Christian life. So he didn't spend a lot of time showing me all my sin. There were plenty of them. But you know what he said? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And you know what? When I gazed at Jesus, my life began to change. Because Jesus lived a beautiful life, and I wanted to live a beautiful life too. And when I gazed at Jesus, I saw how ugly my sin was. And I wanted to repent of my sins and follow after him. Don't you? Listen, if you're here today checking out the Christian faith, gaze at Jesus. I believe if you look at Jesus, you'll see how rotten your sin is, how amazing he is, and you'll want to believe him. Listen, if you're here today as a disciple, listen, and you want to follow Jesus, you gaze at Him. If you gaze at Jesus, the Holy Spirit will say, look at Him. He's beautiful. Follow Him. And you'll find yourself following Him as you gaze at Him. Are you here today stuck in a sin? You're stuck in a sin. You want to know how to overcome the sin? Gaze at Jesus. The only way to overcome a sin is through the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. And when you see that Jesus loved you more than life itself, that's what frees you from that sin. Are you a Christian single person? You want to know, what does God want you to do with your life? Jesus is your model. Follow him. He'll show you how to live as a Christian single. Are you married? You want a better marriage? (laughs) Gaze at Jesus. Jesus loved us more than he loved his own life. What could happen in your marriage? If you loved your spouse more than you love your own life, what would happen? How do you experience a better marriage? You gaze at Jesus. Listen, would you like a greater boldness, a greater boldness in sharing your faith? Well, look at him. If you'll gaze at him, you'll find you have to go tell us you've got to come and see him. He's amazing. Do you know I have the greatest job in the world? You know what I get to do all week? I get to gaze at Jesus. I just get to look at him. And then Sunday, I get to share with you what I saw. And you know what I saw this week? That Jesus is the one you're looking for. Come and gaze at him. If you see him, you'll love him. If you love him, you'll follow him. If you follow him, you want others to know him too. Oh, and what an amazing opportunity we have to do that this month, right? I mean, as we gaze at Jesus, don't we all have people we want to invite to come and gaze at Jesus? And so I want to plead with you to be a part of our, of our Christmas team. We're, we're forming a Christmas team, a team of people that want to work together to invite others to come and gaze at Jesus. And many of you joined last week, but many of you didn't. So to be a part of the team, there's four ways you can be a part of the team. You can pray. listen, Who are the people you want sitting with you on Christmas to hear the gospel? Won't you begin to pray for them? You say, well, I won't be here. Who do you want sitting in here when you're not here hearing the gospel? You can pray. You know what you can do? You can invite. After you pray, go and invite them. We've put together some really cool invitations Grab them on the table. Grab them. Give them to the people you want to see that they have all the information. The service is called. Too good to be true. And we're going to see that Jesus is too good. And He is also true. You can invite. You can come. If you're in town, come. Come early and welcome our guests. Don't rush out. Help welcome our guests. Jesus said people would know we're Christians by our love. Let's overwhelm the people who come by the love and joy of God's people that evening. And then let's follow up. If someone you bring... comes to faith in Christ, ask them if they'd like to follow Jesus with you. You say, you don't know how? We'd love to invest in you, so you could invest in them. Follow up. Share with us the stories you have. Now, I'd like you to join the team. You can can put on the Connect card that you'd like to be a part of the team. Put your name. Put your number. Are you a one, two, three, or 4? We can all be a 1. And then put your email address. And if you'll do that, I'll pray for you as you pray for others. And I'll send you coaching tips. I'll send you some ideas, like I did this past week for those who joined the, tip, the team on how to pray and invite and come and follow up. A um, couple weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about some folks in our church who saw a rainbow. They saw a rainbow, and it was, it was so amazing. It was 180 degrees that they had to go and invite others to come and see it. Well, <laughs> Those are landlubbers. We have some boat people in our church. And they said, listen, if you're on a boat, you can go beyond a 180 to a 360. Do you see that? It's hard to see with a light. They said, you saw a 180. We saw a 360. It goes all the way around. Isn't that amazing? And, and the lady who sent it to it, make sure you tell people, I didn't Photoshop it. I didn't Photoshop it. That's what we saw. We, it was amazing. What happens when you see an amazing rainbow? Don't you first worship the Lord? Don't you say, Wow, thank you. Thank you for putting that. That is so Thank you for your promise. But then you want to do what? Go get other people. You got to come and see this. You got to come and see it. Uh, so we've, we're starting our week off right, aren't we? What have we done? We've gathered today. Gathered today what? To gaze at Jesus. And see how amazing he is. So that this week now, we can go out. We can take our invitations and find, Come and gaze at him with us. And don't we have that opportunity every day of our lives that we get to get up each day and see something more amazing than the bread. We get to gaze at Jesus. And when we do, and he captures our hearts, we want to follow him. And we want to go and invite others to come and gaze at him too. Oh, man. I'm so looking forward to to Christmas Eve and gathered with so many people that have been invited to come and gaze at Jesus too. You know what? Because I know the one thing that's true of every person on earth, what they're really looking for is Jesus. Jesus is the one you're looking for. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that we are the ones you were looking for? You put on flesh for us. You lived a perfect life. You were willing to go to the cross. You died. You rose for us. Thank you. Listen, if you're here today and, and you've never been saved, you've never put your trust in Christ, won't you, He's here, won't you tell him, Jesus. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. I want you to come in and and be my savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray for all of us who know you, that we've spent this morning gazing at you as we go out this week. May we follow you. May we be so overwhelmed by your love that we follow you, Lord. And may we invite others to come and gaze at you. Lord, I pray each day we would get up and start our day by gazing at you. And as we gaze at you, may we go out and follow you all day long. And may we invite others, come and see, come and see Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would fill both of our campuses and all of our services up on Christmas Eve of people who've been invited to come and gaze at Jesus. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.